Hello, everyone, and welcome back to 2020 Psych. I'm one of your hosts, Claire Kay. I'm joined today by my dad. My name is Dr. Hernandez. I'm a psychiatrist. And today we wanted to sit down and do something a little bit different and kind of go through a self-help guide for everyone at home during these times of COVID and just in general, a self-help guide for those people that either don't have access to mental health care, don't have health insurance, or are just looking for basic ways to help themselves during these very, very trying times. So we've put together some resources for you all, and I guess I just want to start this this discussion today by talking about the obvious stater in the room, which is that we're all grieving some sort of traumas this year with coronavirus alone, but all of the social unrest that's been happening on U.S. soil, but also globally. Um, it's been a lot to process, and in the U.S. alone, over 200,000 people dead. If Even if you don't know someone personally that is in that number, the trauma of just knowing that that many people have died and the government indifference can be a lot. So we're going to sit down today and just talk about some practical things people can do. So we're going to try to offer some suggestions. As you know, there's many barriers to care in regards to mental health. Many mental health clinics have closed and it's difficult to obtain health at mental health care at this time. However, if you're suffering from a severe mental illness, such as bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, um, a severe major depressive disorder, there is not any substitute for professional care. You need to continue to find your way to your doctor, to your your clinician, to your therapist, no matter what. But we're going to talk about less forms or, or less severe cases of mental illness. Though if at any point you ever feel suicidal or even homicidal, uh, you need to seek help emergently. What we're going to talk about, though, is patients that suffer from lesser degrees of uh, mental illness, though very still incapacitating, and with it bringing some impairment and overall ill feelings in, in regards to uh, a deprived mental status or emotional state. Uh, we want to offer some resources uh, and thank goodness there are many available uh, and we're going to share with you some, what some of those are. I want to start by painting the picture of I feel like it's important to bring into this conversation like um, the hierarchy of, hierarchy of needs you know the basic level of care that we need in order to achieve you know a very healthy happy life um, <clears throat> and it feels like right now a lot of people in this country specifically are suffering from a lack of feeling safe, feeling secure, um, being able to provide the basic needs for themselves of shelter, food, a place to sleep. Um, so times are times are difficult. And I think it's important to talk about that in regards to self-help because if you're facing insecurity, if you're facing food insecurity, shelter insecurity, it, it can be hard to prioritize your mental health when you're trying to 
when you're when you're trying to provide the basic needs for yourself but maybe your family your spouse your partner whoever it is so I just think it's important to preface that before um, I hand it off to you to talk about you know some of the things you found uh, during this week I think it's fair to say that anxiety is at an all-time high we spoke about this in a previous episode um, what are what are some things that people right now str- struggling with just general anxiety uh, can do? Well, as I mentioned, there are many barriers to care. And even if there are, you can find a therapist, you may not be able to afford a therapist because obviously they're trained professionals and they're not cheap. Of course, there are some government uh, clinics that'll, that can help you, um, but those are usually very busy long waiting list so again it may be difficult to set up an appointment there are many resources that are available online there are numerous mental health apps that are out there that have been developed by very prestigious and reliable uh, experts in the field and that's what we want to direct our audience to in this episode there are very some very notable ones. Uh, I'm going to share some names. If you go on to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, they review mental health apps and they have strong recommendations for various things. Um, then the, the, the first app that they review is something called Anxiety Reliever. There's Anxiety Coach. There's Breathe to Relax. There's CPT Coach which is a cognitive processing therapy and there's Happify uh, and the list goes on as to different types of uh, apps that are available for different problems including anxiety, depression, PTSD, eating disorders, borderline personality disorder, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia. So the list goes on. There's even uh, other websites from other countries that are very reliable, notably from the National Health Service of, uh, in England. There's also the Black Dog Institute from Australia. There's many universities in the United States that have uh, websites that will recommend certain apps for different disorders. Some, Most of them are free. Some have a subscription. Others, there's one app that you can pay $65 a week and get unlimited therapy. So if you email them, you message them with your problems, they'll respond to you promptly. And so these are different alternatives to traditional methods. Are they optimal? Well, in some cases they are, and in others they're not. But they're resources, and and when resources are limited, they can be very valuable. You mentioned earlier about bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, and a few other severe mental illnesses. Can we talk about, are there any resources available for those with severe mental illness outside of professional care that maybe they have been unable to get access to because of coronavirus? Uh, What is something that someone that is struggling with bipolar disorder, what can they do if they don't have access to that care right now? Well, in most patients, there is no substitute for a combination of therapy with medications. So what is recommended at this time is 
if there's a medication that the patient's taking that comes in a long-acting injectable form, that's preferable because it may be difficult to go get a refill or to be able to make it to a pharmacy. So if you can get once a month dosing in an injectable form, that, that is one option. In addition to medication, you can try to have virtual therapy with your therapist, but there are also apps that will help you if you have schizophrenia, and as I mentioned, if you have bipolar disorder as well, that will work as an adjunct to what you already have. And so I think that the sophistication now of the developers is so evolved that I was surprised to find out that there was recently an app that was FDA approved for the treatment of addictions. So again, it's getting really sophisticated now. And I think most experts will, will agree that it, it's not going to do away with traditional therapy, but it can definitely be something that's used as an adjunct to traditional therapy. Do you know if that FDA approved app is free or is, uh, is there a payment? There is a, a payment that's associated with, but it's not a very expensive one. Uh, so, uh, and and really, what you really need is a prescription to access the app. That's what the that's what the they're calling. I don't think there's a price for it, but you do need a prescription from a doctor to access the app. I wanted to ask a follow up question from our anxiety episode which was I wanted to touch on some of the techniques that you were mentioned to me before about how to calm anxiety, if you can recall that. Yes, of course. Well, there's relax relaxation techniques, and we also talked about meditation. And again, there's some apps that are pretty comprehensive, pretty thorough, that will include all these steps, including even music therapy. So... By all means, if you're suffering from severe anxiety and you can't get to a doctor, please look into these apps, um, the, these anxiety-relieving apps, because they're wonderful. The, the reviews on them are fabulous. There are clinicians that have put a lot of work into them, so they're well thought out. They will reduce your stress. They'll improve your attention, your awareness, and it, they're definitely helpful for you. I'll share some personal things that I've been doing during these times of anxiety. I found this pretty on. I found this pretty early on in the pandemic. It was this YouTube channel called Healing Vibrations, and essentially they post up to one one hour, up to like eight hour sound baths of just what it, just exactly what it sounds like vibrations, different frequencies with different sound bowls that some are aim, aimed for to calm anxiety, some are to help you sleep, some are to help you dream better, um, some are to open up your chakras. There's a variety of different videos on there spanning from one hour to up to nine, 13 hours. So I would suggest uh, checking that out if sound is if you know that sound is very healing for you uh one another person that have, i have discovered is uh deepak chopra he has a lot of um meditation albums on spotify apple music um i'm wherever else you can find um music like that uh, but i use his meditation albums as well and those have been really helpful 
There's also another treatment modality that involves breathing. And it's and this app is free. It's called Breathe to Relax. And again, it, it it's a simple uh, app that was designed by the National Center for Telehealth and Technology to teach breathing techniques to reduce anxiety. So please look into this. It's free. It'll help you. And you have if you put the time in it into it and the effort, it will help you. And in all this. If you're considering obtaining help, it's because you have insight. And insight means that you're aware that you have a problem. And number two, that you feel that there's help for the problem. And three is that you're willing to get the help, that you're willing to put in the work. So if you have all this, you're already ahead of the game in the sense that you're on your road to recovery because you're, you've accepted that you have something that you can deal with and you're willing to do the work to, to get yourself better. And we're very proud of you for doing that because that, that's that's hard. And it's a big step to, one, even realize that you need help and then try to find it. And I think it's important to also emphasize that th these tools that we're, um, you know, shedding some light on are to be used, should be used post-pandemic, whenever that is. I think American life was stressful and chaotic before coronavirus even got here. So these are definitely tools that you can always continue to use. There's also another app called Mood Tools, which is also free. And this helps with uh, those of you that may be suffering from depression. It includes a depression symptom questionnaire called the PHQ-9, which is something that doctors frequently use in their offices. It's a self-questionnaire that you answer, and if you score a certain amount, it'll indicate the degree of uh, depression that you're suffering with, and it'll help guide your therapy. Uh, so there's also a, a suicide safety plan, and there's videos and, and meditation guides in, the, in this free app as well. I think I want to provide more clarity on what exactly a psychiatrist does because I feel like there's still some misconceptions about what your role is, who, what type of people, what type of patients you see on the day to day. And I think it's important just to clarify uh, we were speaking about this earlier that you're sort of the last line of defense in most cases. Um, and let's just talk about the different roles in mental health. Well, the psychiatrist, is, like you say, is sort of like the last line of defense. We treat the, the most severely ill men, patients with mental illness. Um, unfortunately, I, don't, I know very little about apps because if you can believe this, most of my patients don't have smartphones. They don't have phones at all. So we're dealing with a particularly challenged, impoverished, seriously mentally ill group of patients, many of which are homeless, have drug abuse problems. So it's not like I can tell them, download this uh, app for yourself because this is really going to help with your schizophrenia or it'll keep your mania in check. No, unfortunately, we they have so limited resources that they they can't access this, the, the, these uh, these technologies that are so readily available to the rest of us. So, but psychiatrists, 
those those are the type of patients that we're entrusted to take care of. And my hats off to, are to my colleagues because we do see uh, a great deal of patients that are really challenged. Uh, but as I pointed out earlier in other episodes, I, I'm still in admiration to their coping skills, to their resilience, because despite the severity of their illnesses, they continue to survive, and some I can tell you will even thrive in certain environments. They make the most out of very little, and I'm just overall, uh, I have nothing but respect for them and their abilities to, to survive. So there's a vast v- variety of therapists in the mental health field. I think perhaps that's something that also isn't as discussed and as clear. There's talk therapist, I believe. That's something that I've been personally been through or been to at USC when I went, but I know that there's also psychotherapists, behavioral, cognitive therapists. What exactly are those? What role do they serve? And when do you know if you need one, if you do? Well, some forms of of therapy are so powerful that they're every bit as good, maybe even better than medications because they don't have certain side effects that medications do have. For psychiatrists, I remember when I was training, there was uh, Maria Kovacs who was coming out of Philadelphia. She came from the Arambeck School of uh, Psychiatry of Depression where they were the originators of cognitive behavioral therapy. And she said that it was so difficult to train somebody to do cognitive behavioral therapy that they didn't even bother teaching the psychiatric residents because it was too hard for them to understand. And so that's where the psychologists come into play because they're capable of grasping those concepts and being able to actually do the therapy that others can't. So there are some therapists that are certified by uh by this group in Philadelphia, and they're throughout the country and and the world, actually. But again, it's a very sophisticated form of therapy. But in some of these apps that do CBT, as it's known, they follow the same guidelines. And so you can sort of reorganize the way you think about certain things that are troubling you, your depression, your anxiety. So it's a lot of work that you have to do, but it can help you feel better, less anxious, less depressed. And some studies show that the outcomes are very every bit as good as if you're using medications and therapy. So by all means, it's something that you can look into. And some of these apps are free. Is this a fair question to ask? Do you feel that mental health in America is grossly underfunded? Well, I think that to a certain extent it is. There can always be more research put into it. My understanding is that half of the counties in the United States don't even have a psychiatrist or even a a psychiatric social worker. So there obviously are huge voids of uh, of areas of care for uh, mental health. Uh, Fortunately, um, telehealth, telepsychiatry is a thing now that's so popular. It's been actually it's been around for over 10 years. But now with the pandemic, it's something that's commonplace and it's actually the standard of care now. So we're able to reach patients and that are far away from us. And I'm hoping that 
in those areas where there are not psychiatrists and other mental health professionals that they're able to at least reach uh, get some help through through the internet and and then these helps are again are very helpful as well you know i grew up with you as my father a mental health professional so i have a very biased view of how uh, mental health is handled and I've seen you as a professional and I <laughs> obviously have a lot of respect for you, but it seems as though time and time again, quality mental health care is a dime a dozen. And this is based off experiences that my peers have had, stories that have come out from universities of just college students that have had, you know, poor mental health care. Um, at their institutions. My question is, what do you think's going wrong? Why do you think institutions like USC, for example, who has uh, millions of dollars in endowment, don't have enough therapists on their on their psych floor for patients? Well, I think that there's always room for improvement. I think as physicians, as mental health professionals, as clinicians, we can always strive to improve ourselves and I think the same goes for hospitals institutions we can always try to better ourselves to because it's all about our patients right it's all it's all about helping our patients being able to diagnose and treat them appropriately and we may need better training facilities I think it's uh, a complicated uh, question and the the answer is even more complicated than that uh, because it's it, it looks into different levels of uh, again training being able to uh, provide the care that it's necessary to our patients and having the right uh, resources to do so so again it's, it's a little complicated but I there's always as I as I as I feel there's there's ways of improvement, and I think that we all have to strive to, to be better to serve our patients. Definitely, and I'm not asking you, of course, to talk down on any of your, of your colleagues because I don't think that's that's not what I'm trying to get at. I just, considering, you know, we are in the United States of America, I just personally feel like we should have some extremely well quality care that everyone should have access to and I know you agree with me because in that sense of like you just said we need to help our patients um, and it just feels like where we're at right now we only got one stimulus check a few months ago for $1,200 since then no aid has come on the federal level I uh, it, it seems as though our government as a whole has a very big indifference towards its citizens and it's you know it's hard and obviously I know you're not the one that's calling the shots so I'm not putting it on you but it's definitely great to hear your insight. Well, I think what you're saying is 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 important to sort of just talk about a little bit because you would think that with all the resources that our country has that we would have been able to do a lot better job with the pandemic. We should have been proud to say that we had the fewest cases, given that we have all the scientific, medical, uh, financial resources to be able to deal with the with, with such a crisis, that we should have been the leaders in the, in the world 
but sadly we're not there we're actually way behind and so again i don't know if if that's because of politics lack of leadership misguided leadership but really it's sad to say that we were not in the forefront in this battle leading the way uh, and showing the rest of the world how to do things the right way so yes it's i think it's a reflection on the state of where we are as a country and again i think that's very unfortunate and if we can we can take it even to the state level we were speaking today about how what was it the california government just passed that law that OBGYNs have to screen for mental health now it just it it's interesting that it was 2020 and now that's finally becoming a that's put into place that that's something that needs to be required i feel like that should have been standard practice well i think it's it's uh it's an interesting commentary when you have politicians telling doctors how to practice I think that that's not okay as a medic, as a physician that things need to be pointed out to us by government officials as to how to practice. I think that we're the ones that need to be telling the government how we're supposed to be doing things. And so when we fail to do certain mental health screens for, say, postpartum depression, I think it's sad that uh, the politicians have to tell us to obligate us to start doing this because we weren't doing it on our own. So we want to sum up this episode by saying that we know that these are challenging times. They're anxiety-provoking. Many people are grinding their teeth at night because they're so stressed out. Many people are worried, and there's a lot of stressors. There's financial stressors. There's medical stressors. There's interpersonal stressors. So we want you to cope with these challenges in the healthiest way that you can. We've already talked about things like exercise, dieting, fasting, different types of non-pharmacological treatments. You have to try to take care of yourself. If you identify that you're stressed out to the max, you're really depressed, seek help because it's available and you will find it. Don't give up. Have hope. And if things get to the point where you can't handle it, then that's when you have to call if you have to call the suicide hotline, please do so. The phone number is 1-800-573-TALK. So reach out for help. It's always available to you. Thank you guys so much for listening and tuning in each week. We truly appreciate each and every one of you for listening in and we hope that we are providing you guys with some very useful information. Follow our Instagram at 2020 Psych Podcast. That's where we post when we have new episodes and that's where we talk to you guys and get your feedback. So feel free to join in the feel free to join in on the conversation. Thank you guys so much and I hope you have a great day wherever you are.